do this morning for me. You, uh, you flat out did a wonderful job singing and presenting the need. Uh, we encourage you to contribute to the causes and the needs of the church. Uh, we're not passing the plate, but the offering plates are in the foyer on the table. Convenient. And uh, so we want you to certainly to love God with your giving. And you can give online, as Joy said. And we really appreciate you doing that. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for being in this place. We thank you for our visitors and, and being here. Uh, Brother Larry Smith, there's several here because of Larry. And uh, he's not here today. He just took off. He's gone. No, he's preaching at another church, and so he is working for the Lord, and we appreciate him so very much. Uh, bring that to me, if you will, and uh, thank you for coming. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, and we, be, we preached uh, from the second chapter of the book of Acts, on Pentecost, and so uh, we want to continue to that today. And one of the things we're going to be talking about is the people that are in the upper room. Now, the number 120 is, is thrown out, and I think that's how many. There's around 120. And there were the 11 apostles in that upper room, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and others. But uh, I have a Bible here. It's called the Spirit-Filled Bible. It's Jack Hafer's. It's one of the nicest study Bibles that you will ever read or get. And I'm going to give this to someone. I'm going to give it to the person that will tell me how many of the disciples were fishermen. Now, do not Google it while I'm preaching that is a no-no. Uh, but I've been wanting to give this Bible to someone. I said, what can I do to, to give this Bible to someone? So that's who I'm going to give this Bible to. After the service, you can study it, look for it. And uh, you might know it now. I don't know. Uh, what? Did I not make the question plain? I didn't? No, I don't want nobody guessing it now. Uh, okay. I want you to tell me how many of the apostles that their previous occupation were fishermen. Plain? If you do not have an outline, I hope you do, you can go online and it's there. And uh, I gave that uh, out so folks can, uh, last Sunday, and uh, we have that online each week. And we like for everyone to have an outline so you can follow that. You remember much more of what you read than what you hear. Uh, Mars and Ann. It is so good to see you. I saw you this morning. I wanted to give you a hug so bad. I want to give everyone a hug, and I can't do that. After this is over, 
I'm going to give everybody big hugs, and I want you to hug me back. <laughs> but it's so good to see you. They are snowbirds. They're, they've been a vital part of this service for many, our church for many, many years. And we appreciate you, Brother Morris, and we appreciate you, Ann. And it's so good to have them back uh, from Florida. Would you welcome them with a hand clap? Would you do that? Three aspects of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Three. The reason I wanted to continue on this is because I believe if there ever was a time that the church today needs the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's today. Now, what I'm going to preach, you follow me. You, you have the outline or you can get it. It's on the Welcome Center in the foyer. Uh, I will stick to the scripture. I will not deviate from that and preach some uh, of my own theology. So I trust as we, we continue this uh, series that we will understand the importance now, last Sunday we talked about how to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, other aspects of Pentecost, and we talked about other things. But uh, this morning, and, and, and I'm, I'll try to be as brief as I can, uh, our goal here is to be, uh, have a short service because of the uh, pandemic, but uh, we'll see. Uh, first, first of all, uh, number one is the unity preceded Pentecost. Eleven times in the book of Acts, it says that they were in one accord. I wonder, in our churches today, could we say that? Could we say that? Could we say that we're all together? We're as one. I want to say something that I, 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 I am glad to say. In all of my 51 years pastoring this church, that this church, the leadership, the membership, there is more unity in this church than there ever has been. Isn't that wonderful? How wonderful, it's just great. I praise God for that. I praise God for the people that serve on the board of this church and have positions of ministry in this church. And uh, it's just wonderful, you know, to be able to walk into the sound booth and, and know that these people love us and we're all on the same page. Unity is important. We look at unity of purpose, reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 14. These all continued, what? In one accord, or one purpose in prayer, and supplications with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, James and others. So here they are in one place. For 10 days, and they still have unity. <laughs> Back in 1980, we loaded up our van, and uh, we took off to California. We had our sound equipment, our drums, our guitars, 
our amplifiers. And there was a bunch of us in the extended van that we got in. We were gone for seven days, stuck in that van. We were friends when we left. I'm not sure we were friends when we got back. <laughs> yes, we were. We ministered as we went, and we ministered in Phoenix, Arizona, and other places, and, and it was just wonderful. But when you're, when you're together a lot, it's like, it's like being uh, isolated for the last two months in the home. And uh, when you first start, we're loving and everything is going well. You love the wife, you love the husband. It's, it's wonderful. But after two months together stuck in that house, it's not, you know. But here these men and women were for 10 days in one place but the Bible says that they were in one accord. Acts 2 and 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, is this a miracle? They were all with one accord in one place. It's important for us to have unity. Well over 20 years, almost 21 years ago, we began what is called Durham Ministers in Prayer. And there are about 40 ministers that meet every Tuesday morning at 9.30 at Dave Spring Church on 9th Street. And they're Presbyterians. They're Methodists. They're Pentecostals. They're Charismatics. They're Catholics. There's men. There's women. And we come together for one Thing, and that's to pray, especially for our city and especially for our nation. And we have seen so, I could stand here for an hour and tell you some powerful things that have happened in Durham. And it's amazing how that there is so much unity. I love these men. I love these women. It is wonderful to come together in unity. There are blacks, there are whites, there are Hispanics, there are Asians, and we see people coming from all over. We've had people coming from all over the world, and that's a true statement. And we're in unity. The early church, the, one of the reasons that they experienced this great outpouring is because they gathered together in unity. Uh, you know, I, I looked at those disciples and I saw Peter. You know Peter. Uh, one person said, duh disciple, D-U-H, duh. Peter? <laughs> one minute he's walking on the water with faith, the next minute he's sinking with doubt. One minute he said, I'm going, to serve, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to be there when you need me. The next minute he's, I don't know him. He's denying Christ. Peter. I think about James. I think about John. John. He's the one that leaned on the breast of Jesus. But he was known as the son of thunder. I think about uh, Matthew, the dishonest tax collector. We're going to let him in here? He's different. 
Diversity is not bad, amen? Diversity is good. Coming together as one is good. I think about uh, Simon the Zealot. He was to overthrow the Roman. He, along with others, was to overthrow the uh, Roman government. I think about Doubting Thomas. All these people coming together and they had unity. They had love. How many of you know we need to lay down our differences, cover them with the blood of Jesus Christ, let God do something in our lives that we can love our neighbor, as, as Matt said, as ourselves? And the Samaritan, he, it was a great example of loving someone different than we are. If you look at the background of the priest and the Samaritan, how that he, wow, he laid aside his feelings and he loved him. Differences were settled, confessions made, and relationships were restored. I trust that would be true. Listen to me. I trust that would be true for this nation. God have mercy. The devil is working overtime to divide us. And you know what he's using? Hate, envy, strife, the very thing that will destroy us. So we have, first of all, the unity of purpose. Talking about unity preceding Pentecost. There was the unity of place. Oh, I can go out under an oak tree and serve God, yeah. Oh, I can stay at home and serve God, yes. I can be anywhere and there's God, true. But at times, God calls us together. He wants us to be in a specific place. And this demonstrates the importance of the local church. I'm glad you're here today. I'm preaching to the choir. It's wonderful to come together. You remember the prophet Elijah? There was a famine and God said to him, I want you to go down to the brook and there I'm going to provide water and food for you. Ravens were bringing the food and the water was supplied by the brook. The brook dried up and the ravens, they got tired and quit coming or whatever. Then he said, I want you to go to the Seraphath. This is a Gentile place. I want you to go to the Seraphath. And he said, there's a widow woman. And he said, I will bless and feed you, what? There. Now, if he'd gone somewhere else, he wouldn't have been blessed. And that's the importance of being in one place. That's the importance of being where God calls us to be. There was a unity of the place. If we desire renewed Pentecost, and I hope you do, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many of us desire the power and the anointing and the blessings of God? If you desire a Pentecost, then you must be in the very presence of the Lord. And that's the reason the local church it's so important. Every believer should find and identify with a particular place where believers are being filled with the Holy Spirit and God's holy power is manifested. Somebody say amen. 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 
Remember, Jesus appeared to 500 brethren. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of people, 500 people. And only a quarter of them remained faithful. Now, I'm not saying they backslid. I'm just saying they were not there. A quarter of them, 120 in the upper room, yet he appeared to 500. There's a unity of purpose, the unity of place, and then we have the unity of power. You know, I guess uh, Acts 1.8 is one of the most important verses that you can read when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to understanding what God, you know, what Jesus wanted after he rose there with the, those disciples on that hillside. Listen to, listen to Rome, I mean Acts 1 and 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I, uh, I, I got something to read here. It's, it's a little lengthy. I hope you'll stay awake and listen. My wife and I, over the years, have, have had the privilege of giving the student Bible to a lot of graduates, whether it's high school, college, and we've given out many of the student Bibles, NIV. But I was reading the uh, intro to Acts from the student Bible. Would you let me read it? Would you would, listen at it? It's it, because it just was so interesting to me. And here's what it says. The New Testament divides neatly into two nearly equal sections. The first consists of four Gospels, and we all understand that and know that that tell about Jesus' life on earth. The second section, beginning with Romans, concerns churches that sprang up after Jesus left. In, in the between, there's the book of Acts. So you have the four Gospels, you have Romans and the epistles that were written by Paul, Peter, John, and others. And, and, and that's two sections. But in the middle of that, listen at me, was... The book of Acts. The best way to appreciate Acts is to imagine a Bible without it. You have just read the life of Jesus, underscored by four different authors, and you turn to Romans. Paul is servant of Christ. This is what it says in Romans, the beginning. To all Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Rome? You're going from Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden, this great Bible, God's Word, inspired. All of a sudden, you go to Rome as you begin to read Romans. Rome, how did the story get there from Jerusalem? Next, you'd find two books, also by Paul. Who's Paul? You don't know who Paul is. If you, if you don't have Acts, addressed to the church of God in Corinth. And then you have Galatia. And then you have Ephesians. All of these, without Acts, the New Testament leaps from an, and listen to this, orderly history to one man 
of one man rather, Jesus, to a collection of unexplained personal correspondences. And yet, and there's more, but yet Acts ties all this together. Uh, there's one, one more place. Please bear with me if I can find it. I don't want to read it all. It's just quite a bit. Acts, okay. Oh, listen to this. Here's a small paragraph. Jesus himself had laid out the plot in his last recorded words on earth, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I just read that, Acts 1 and 8. Acts faithfully follows the outline. I never knew this. Listen to this. You, you Bible students, listen to this. Acts ladies, faithfully follows that outline. The first seven chapters show the church in Jerusalem. And my wife and I went through this yesterday. We read it. We, we, we began it through each one. First seven chapters show the church. The next five focuses on Judah, or Judea rather, and Samaria. First seven, then you've got the five. And the rest of the book follows the spread of the gospel to the outpost of the, of the Roman civilization. Isn't that something? Boy, I read that and I said, God knows what he's doing. He just fits everything together. Hallelujah. It's important to understand that God wants his power to go forth. And then lastly here, there is the unity of praise. You know, there was great persecution for the early church, but there was great praise. That's what we did this morning. Matt, Matthew, Matt, Fisher, this morning's worship. It was wonderful. That last song, I tell you, I was taken almost to the third heaven with it. It was absolutely wonderful. Praise. God wants the church to praise him. And when you read throughout the scripture, praise has always been accompanied by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Worship and awe, worship and awe have always been present when God manifests himself. Praise is a pathway to God's presence. Psalms 22 and 3. But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. You know when you're praising God, no matter where you are in the church, when you begin to praise God, God is enthroned in that. He is present in that. No matter if you're riding down the highway and you begin to praise God, and magnify the name of Jesus. Years ago when I was a teenager and even younger, we would go down the road after the service, praising God. And most of the time we'd leave the church. And I was usually with a bunch of ladies because ladies were always faithful. Those ladies were faithful. Hallelujah! They get to shouting in the car. I said, my God, I hope somebody takes a hold of the wheel and we don't have a wreck. Yeah, but they were, and it happened many times. Many times. Praise. Psalms 133. Look at it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head. Running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. 
running down on the edge of his garments. Garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded his, the blessing life evermore. Isn't that something how when we come together, the all of the Spirit begins to flow? And the, the all represents the, represents the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. I've been in church many times, and that all began to flow. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move. And you could sense the very love of Jesus Christ. And there was a fellowship with one another back when you could hug each other. And you would hug and love. And, you, and, and listen, it broke down walls, destroyed division, and brought people together. I'm talking about the manifestation of the Spirit of God. That praise is unto the Lord. I'm going to close. I'm not, I won't finish this. Unity preceded Pentecost. Prayer accompanied Pentecost. We need to pray. Somebody say amen. You see that? You see those? Out, see that outline A, B, and C? One, two, three. Conceive the problem. We don't know. The Bible says the whole, listen to this, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And then he says in the same verse, we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit of God helps us to pray, continues in the partnership of the Spirit, consummates in the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The way God's will is accomplished, it's accomplished is for us to pray. Brother Dan's been having prayer for years and years on Friday night. He is so faithful in that Friday night prayer. And even when we could not gather together like we can today, even when we were isolated, we did Zoom prayer. And we would pray in our homes. It is important that we pray. God hastens his word to perform it. Look at Jeremiah 1 and 12. Then the Lord said to me, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you have seen well, for I am actively watching over my word to fulfill it. What do you need from God? You need healing. You need your family to be saved, children away from God. You need God to move concerning your job. God said, if you'll pray, and if you'll pray in faith, and you'll believe me, I will hasten my word to fulfill it. That's a good place. Come on. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Romans 8, 28 hinges on the impact of the first word. And we know. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know. What do we know? Aren't you glad to know something? You could turn to your neighbor, don't do it, but if you want to, I know something. And I just know a lot. What is it? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That probably is one of the most quoted verses. Excuse me, in the entire Bible. And we know that all things work together for good. But will you allow me to do something? And now don't get angry at me. I've done this and I've had people get angry at me. Let me read it from the NIV. 
And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the New King James, watch the subject. Put that back up, Brother Mark. What's the subject in that scripture? Not, not the NIV, the New King James. And we know that all things work, you English folks. We know, where's Christy? She's going out with James, her son. <clears throat> uh, the subject is, is things. Things work. Work is a verb. Some years ago, I had to bury the South, the Southern High School beauty queen. She was killed in a head-on collision by a drunk driver in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Beautiful girl. That thing was not good. I've always struggled with that. Things working for my good. When I went through cancer and struggled with it, that thing was not good. So if you go to the NIV, that's the translation. And I believe if you study that, you can, you, you can take it out. If you find it different, come back and say, preacher, you're wrong. I can believe NIV. And we know in all things, and what's the, su what's the subject there? God. God works. Things work. God works for, I know this, that thing, struggling with sickness, affliction, that thing is not good, but I know something, and this verse is powerful, I know that in that thing, God works. It doesn't matter what it is. God Works. Unity preceded Pentecost. Prayer accompanied Pentecost. And evangelism followed Pentecost. You shall be my witnesses. Keep you these notes. Study them this week. In your, in your, in your devotional time. Study them this week. Brother Matt, could I ask you to come and sing that last song again? Joy, God bless your heart. This song, I know it's ministered to all of you. While they're getting ready to listen to me, if you're here today and you need something from God, this is a good place to receive it. One Sunday morning, listen at me. I was suffering so bad and struggling, and this has been about, a year, two years ago, when you prayed for me. About two years ago? About two years ago. I came to this church hurting. And many of you know the physical struggles that I've been through. I came to this church hurting. But I came anyway. And I stood on that front, at that front pew. And during the singing, my wife reached over to me and took my hand. And she prayed a powerful prayer. Powerful prayer. God healed me that day. 
I was in Duke Hospital. Thank you. I was in Duke Hospital. They had rushed me to Duke in the uh, emergency room. I've never, I've had kidney stones. That's the worst pain. Next to kidney stones, I was having a pain. I was extremely excruciating pain. I was suffering. My wife was there, and I was hollering. And I don't, I mean, I just don't do that. I was in so much pain. Teresa Hilliard walked in, our secretary. Let me tell you something. I had four doctors, nurses, attendants to come trying to decide what to do. And the, and the decision was to operate and leave a bag on me. That was the decision. That was the, the head doctor was fixing to do that. They all left. Teresa stood and in the power and anointing of God. I've, I've never been anything like that. She spoke. And Brother Mars, that pain left. And it has not come back. It's been about four or five years ago. God heal you as they sing this song. Receive from the Lord. If you need to be saved, Ask him to come into your heart. Repent of your sins. If you've had hatred in your heart towards someone, and I'll tell you what's going on, it's, it's hard not to have feelings. It is. But ask God to forgive us. Ask God to help you. Jesus looked over at the thief on the cross. A thief, my friend. And he said, the thief said, remember me. And Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He forgave a thief, a criminal. If you've had hate in your heart, if you need healing, put your hand as they sing this song. I believe it. I believe it. We can't touch and we can't hug. I guess whatever. But you can put your hand on yourself and say, God, touch me in Jesus' name. I believe that, now I'm going to say this and I'm going to hush. I believe that there's someone here that you're seeking direction on what to do. You ask God during this time, Lord, I need you to guide me. And that's one of the attributes of the Spirit of God when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost. He will lead you and guide you into all truth. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this time we've had together. God, I thank you for the importance, the importance of the upper room experience. I pray that there would be those in this service today that will have an upper room experience. In Jesus' name, amen.